online worshiping with us this morning. I'm so thankful to have JR back another week with us leading. And we just want you to join with us this morning as we worship the Lord. This song that we're about to sing says that we will stand in honor until our knees give way. And we will shout a joyful song until our voice is gone. Lift us up with us this morning. No other king commands our full attention. No other names above all other names. No other throne rules over every nation. No other God deserves our highest praise. No other death divide our sweet redemption. No Sing, 
darkness keep light in the darkness my God that is who you are way make miracle work promise keep light in the darkness my God that is who you are you are here touching every heart and I worship you I worship darkness, my God, that is who you are. We make a miracle work, promise keep light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. 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 That is who you stop working even when I don't feel it you're working even when I don't see it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop way maker miracle worker promise keeper light in the darkness my God that is who you are way maker miracle worker Promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, 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 that is who you are. That is who you are. Church, he is our way maker. And he always keeps his promises. Amen. You have his word on that. Thank you for worshiping this morning. Well, I want to thank uh, Kelly and JR for that wonderful time of worship. Hasn't the acoustic worship last week and this week been really awesome? I love that song. God, you are our way maker, our miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Wow, how amazing our God is. Amen? Amen. Hey, welcome to uh, week number eight of online-only worship here at Lighthouse. A quick announcement to just make you aware, uh, we're making plans to get started back with in-person worship, but it's going to be a while still. Earliest would be the end of the month, um, probably more likely to be the first part of June until we get started back in. But just be aware, we're working on it. We'll get there as quickly as we can, but the person, the thing that's most important is that everybody is safe, and we're going to watch out for that. 
So the series is called Lessons from God During the COVID Crisis. And the first week was all about still time or be still. And it was about Sabbath and the importance of taking time with God, with your family, and with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Then last week was about faith over fear, about God watching over me, about God uh, taking care of that grace working in me, and then heaven being before us. Today, we turn our attention to another subject that came from responses to the question that I asked of you. Give me three things that you believe God is showing you or teaching you uh, during this COVID crisis time. And one of the things that people responded about was about the needs of other people. One person said, there are so many people in need. And aren't we aware of this, that there's so much need around us? Millions of people without jobs, people needing basic things like food, the medical community stretched to near breaking, people losing businesses, uh, which is why the start back of our economy is so important. So many needs everywhere you look. This issue about the needs of people has to do with the second half of what is known as the Great Commandment, found in Matthew 22, in Mark chapter 12, and you also find it in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 25 through 28, which reads, One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, Do this and you will live. At the end of what Jesus said about the greatest commandment, he is asked another question by the very same man. Listen to what it says as we read on in verses 29 through 37. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Part of what is so amazing about Jesus' stories is, for the most part, they are easy for us to understand. One man, Jewish, robbed and beaten, left for dead. Two other Jewish men, well-versed in Jewish tradition. One of them, a priest. Another one, a temple assistant. But they walked on by. The third man, a Samaritan, is a half-breed. He was a man who would have been hated by the Jews. 
He was the one who took care of the needs of the man. Do you see how this relates to the statement someone made when they said, there are so many people in need? When Jesus asked the man who posed the question, who was the neighbor? The man said, the one who showed mercy. And that's what I want to invite you to think about today. What does it mean to live mercifully? In the story, Jesus tells about the Samaritan man who saw a need and responded with mercy. Jesus tells us, when you see a need, you should respond with mercy. He connects the concept of seeing a need with solving a need. You know, it's been so awesome to be a part of a church that has been scrambling over the last eight weeks to respond to the needs. It's been so incredible to see our church in motion. And last week, I was privileged to be here on Monday when the Terran Area Food Bank came for the distribution of food. Let's watch this little video right now. So here we are on this beautiful Monday afternoon with the wind blowing and uh, behind me is a lot of activity and this activity has to do with the partnership that we have uh, with Terran Area Food Bank. The food bank distributes food wherever there's a need but they need people to help get that food out and because of our partnership with them we have the privilege this afternoon to serve probably over 200 families boxes of food including meat and fresh dairy and vegetables, things that are essential for life. And what a great reminder it is about what Jesus taught us when he gave us the, the great commandment, right? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on to explain that your neighbor is anybody who has a need. These people that are coming today have needs, and we are serving them because God has called us to serve people. That's why we do what we do. To help people know that God cares about them, we're spreading the love of Jesus by investing in them in this way. I was talking with a friend over in Arlington this past week about one of the challenges that he's seen. He said, I know of people that have good jobs, they have their home, they have a two-car garage with cars in it, but they don't have a job anymore. They just need food. And that's what you're helping do today by providing this food to neighbors that we never met to help them know that God loves them. It's a way to plant a seed in the name of Jesus Christ. Let the church say amen. Amen. So all this stuff that you see behind me is all stuff that is in the process of being acts of mercy into the community. The boxes, there are 187 of them that were given out this past week, and there's going to be probably close to 200 more that are going to go out next week. And all of these boxes here and these care packages are things that are going out to first responders to the medical community. They're just great acts of mercy within the community in which we live. And oh, by the way, I'm not sure if you're aware of it or not, but we have this thing called the community garden that is right over there, uh, right next to the soccer field. And it's a source, an opportunity for us to be in ministry long-term with the community as well. Let's watch and listen a little bit more. So here we are at the community gardens, and a lot of you probably don't even know or aren't aware that this exists. It's just to the west of our building, which is right there behind me and east of the pond. And you'll find here little seedlings that are coming up. There's 
there's onions and there's lettuce and there's potatoes and there's spinach. And this project is really designed to become a, a food source for people with needs in our community. How cool would it be for Lighthouse family members to take a box of fresh vegetables to somebody in their neighborhood that they know is having a hard time? It's another gift of love, another way to plant a seed, if you will, about being a good neighbor to somebody that maybe you've never even met. It's another example of God at work at Lighthouse and the power of what happens when we work together to change the world for the sake of Jesus Christ. And you guys thought I was going to be in the pond today, didn't you? Ha ha, joke's on you. Remember, Community Garden is for him, for this world to know the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. These are all acts of mercy responding to a need. And Jesus says, if you're seeking to follow me, you need to live mercifully. So Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you a question. How much do you love yourself? Join me in a little exercise uh, with your coffee or on the couch or in front of your computer, wherever you are right now. Uh, put your hands out like this for a minute, would you? Just put your hands out like that. And then give yourself a big hug. Go ahead. Come on. Give yourself a big, big hug. Man, that feels good. It's been weeks since you've had a good hug like that, huh? And wouldn't you say this is the way that you love yourself, that you love yourself that much? In the context of this, pack, of this passage, wouldn't you say that if you had a need, you would take care of it? If you have a health issue, you go to the doctor, right? You don't have a debate with yourself as to whether or not you deserve to go to the doctor. It's your need, and you're going to do everything within your power to see that need filled. When I was diagnosed with prostate cancer almost 10 years ago now, I prayed. I sought the Lord's direction, and I went to a doctor who I consulted with to figure out what was the best way to be rid of this cancer. And so I had surgery to remove my prostate. Then when my P PSA crept up again, uh, two years ago almost, the doctor said, statistically, what this is telling us now is that this cancer is still in your body and the best way to eradicate it is to have radiation. Again, I prayed, consulted with the doctor and ended up having the radiation. It provided the healing that I needed from the cancer. But as a lot of you know, I, as a result of the radiation, developed a further complication that sidelined me greatly. It was an incredibly painful time for me. I had that need. I had the surgery to repair it, and as a result, was healed. We would spare no expense to get our need taken care of. That's how much we love ourselves. Jesus says that should be the same response we have when we see a need somewhere else. We should respond with mercy. Live mercifully. A similar idea comes to us from James. I'm going to read from James 1, verses 22 to 25. It says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Isn't that a great image? He says, it's not enough to hear the word of God. 
You have to act on the word of God. He gets in our faces. He says, not acting on God's word, not doing it, is like looking at your face in a mirror, walking away, and immediately forgetting what you look like. If I were to paraphrase, I might say, Jesus said, live live mercifully, or did you forget what my love looks like? Jesus said, all that stuff you do for yourself, the same way you think about yourself when you have a need, you're supposed to think that way about someone when you see a need. You're supposed to show the same kind of love to the person in need, to live mercifully. And isn't it wonderful to see so many people jumping in to help wherever they can? From a biblical perspective, for a Christian, you'd say, well, this is how we're supposed to behave, isn't it? And yes, you'd be correct. People all over the world are plugging in to at least the second half of the great commandment by responding to the needs out there. And I believe this is something we should all celebrate because it's what we should be doing all along. For way too many years, the church has mistakenly tried to get society to look at us by making our churches look more like society when what we should be doing is trying to make our society look more like Jesus by living mercifully. It's certainly my prayer that we are on the cusp of a great revival as people realize that trying to live life in a secular way, apart from God, just leaves a person hollow and empty. Around here at Lighthouse, we call it the God-shaped hole that everybody has, that only God can fill. It's called secularism, this stuff about society. And it's about trying to take Jesus out of public life so we can fit into society. A father of a friend of mine way back in college called himself a Christian, but he appeared to me as though he was living in a secular way. He was in worship every Sunday, except for when he was sick or on vacation. But over time, as I came to know him, I began to understand he he was an alcoholic. Or not that there's anything wrong with taking a drink or having a drink, but he was an alcoholic. He was addicted to the alcohol. He also had a pretty sailor kind of a, a vocabulary that was harsh on people. He treated his own kids as though they were kind of like slave laborers. And he gambled on horse racing extensively. Extensively, I saw him lose tons and tons of money. I believe that he saw his relationship with God as kind of a, some kind of a legal agreement. I'll go to worship as long as I can do what I want the rest of the week. And that's secularism about becoming more concerned with fitting into society rather than what we're supposed to be doing, which is to be obedient to God regardless of what society says. So let me wrap up today by responding to a central question that I'm sure is on your minds as I've I've spoken about how to respond to the needs that are out there. Here's what the Bible says about that. First, do what is placed in front of you. In Jesus' story, that was the difference between the two men who knew better and did nothing and the man who was despised and who acted with mercy. There was a need for mercy, and only one of the three responded. Do what is placed in front of you. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that we are all connected together as a body is connected with Jesus as the head. If you and I are connected to the body... Isn't it possible that the head, that is 
Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is moving around us all the time trying to position us so that our lives would be used to fill the needs of others, to be merciful in order for people's lives to be directed back to our God. Think about it this way. You happen to be moved to take a walk in your neighborhood. So you go walk in your neighborhood, you're walking down the street, and you see a boy that's sitting on the sidewalk outside of his house, you think, and he looks down. He looks kind of sad. And so you stop, and you say, Hey, my name is Frank. I live down the street just down there. Are you doing okay today? And he just looks at you. And you say, Is there anything I can do for you today? And he says, No, I'm okay. And then you end by simply saying, Hey, have a great day. God bless you. And you walk on your way. You just have no idea what that little seed that you planted in that boy that day could bear in his life. You have no idea what was going on with him, but you saw somebody who needed mercy and you tried to respond to that. When we do those kinds of things, we need to trust that God is going to use that for his work and for his glory. Living mercifully is about doing what is placed in front of you. Someone wrote to me in response to the questions I asked about, what are you learning from this COVID crisis? They said, I'm learning that there are so many ways to love and care for people and to not underestimate what we might consider the small things of life. One of our members who lives part-time here in Fort Worth and part-time in Washington State of all places, she, she responded to the question and she said she had gone for a walk from her house and when she got back, there were two little hand, ta- hand towels that were hand-embroidered with designs on them. And she said it was a gift of love from one of her neighbors and how blessed she was in just that simple, small gesture. Do what is placed in front of you. A second means of responding to all the needs out there is to do what God places on your heart. How many times has someone come to your mind and you ignored it. You figured it was just some random synapse connection that happened in your mind that drew you to them, and you pushed it aside. Why does it have to be some random synapse connection? That's secularism. Couldn't it be that God put that thought on your heart because God wants you at that moment to use you, to bless you, and bless somebody else's life? If we are the body and Jesus is our head, why should we wonder when someone we know or maybe someone we just met is put on our heart because they are in need of mercy? When someone you know has been put on your heart, why don't you just try to respond quickly to that nudge rather than pushing it off? God will put someone on your heart simply because you have the right demeanor, because you have the right frame of mind, because you have the right life experiences to help that person in that moment right now when they need mercy. So you text them, or you call them, or you Facebook message them, or whatever, and you tell them, I believe the Lord has put you on my heart, which, by the way, you do understand that this is essentially the same thing as doing what is put right in front of you. And they say, how did you know? And you say, I didn't know, but God did. Tell me what's going on with you. Or they might say, no, I'm good when they're not. And they may call you the next day or the next week or the next month or the next year and say, you remember that day when you called me? 
And then they begin to talk about what was going on. Do what God places on your heart. I just have to say before I finish, how proud I am to see a glimpse of what you are doing, Lighthouse. I hear so many stories about the way that people are ministering to other people in this time and how wonderful it is that our church is being turned into a mercy station where the needs of people in our community and around the world are being filled because people like you are responding to his leadership in the power of his spirit by responding to those places where you see the needs. So before I finish, I want to ask you, maybe if there's someone who is sitting with you today watching, I want to ask you when this service is over to discuss this question. What needs to happen in your life for you to be more like the man who showed mercy rather than the men who refused to help? Let us be people who live mercifully and tell people what, what we're doing uh, when we're doing it, that the reason we're doing it is because God loves them. So let me finish by inviting you to get your communion elements ready to get that bread that hopefully you've got nearby and let me remind you about how jesus gathered with his friends on that last night the night before he was killed a night a last meal that his friends knew nothing about what was happening the next day and even so jesus calmly lovingly took the bread as was part of that meal and after giving thanks he broke the bread And he gave it to them and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. And in the same way that night, Jesus took the cup. And after giving thanks over the cup, he offered it to his friends. And he said, take and drink, for this is the cup of the new covenant. Poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. The cup represents the blood of Jesus. You know, one of the things that I believe about taking communion and one of the things that I want to invite you to think about today is that when you serve someone who has a need, when you show them mercy, what you're doing is you're offering them the body and blood of Jesus so that they might know the power of God. And by the way, if you've not ever experience the power of God in your life. The way that you do that is by opening your heart, your life, to Jesus Christ. If you would today make a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ by inviting Him in, by humbly asking God, God, I've made a mess of my life. I have feel and experienced brokenness in my life, and I need your love in my life. If you would do that and invite Jesus in, you would begin a life transformed which is what Lighthouse is all about. That's what that mission statement is on the wall way back there behind me. To make Christ followers who change the world. The world will be transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. I pray that you have an awesome day, Lighthouse. I pray that you live mercifully. I pray that you'll continue to learn to do what is in front of you and to do what God has placed on your heart. Because our God is a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness, my God, that is who
who you are. Thank you, God, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Live mercifully. We hope you've been blessed by this morning's worship service and reminded that God so wants us to live mercifully. Our prayer is that you encountered God and took a step closer to Him. And you know, one of the best ways to encounter God is, is to serve people. There's just something powerful that happens when you strive to lift others up. That's why I'm so excited about how Lighthouse is working with different groups in the community to bless others. For instance, you helped serve 108 people at the Eagle Mountain Schools Administration Building just this past Wednesday. And earlier in the week, you served 189 families by distributing food from the Tarrant Area Food Bank. Think about that. Just between these two events, you touched the lives of almost 300 families. And you touched them with the love of Jesus. Talk about living mercifully. Wow. And we have another opportunity tomorrow to do it again. As we speak, there are still some openings available, some opportunities for you to bless others by helping distribute food uh, tomorrow afternoon at Lighthouse. Just go to lfwired.org forward slash food distribution to join in the blessing by signing up. That is, if the slots are still available. And speaking of blessings... Thank you for being a blessing for some wonderful frontline workers in the medical field. Many of you have donated towards the making of gift bags that we've shared. And these people are so thankful for what you've done. We've received many texts and messages of thanks and appreciation from these people that you've blessed. My favorite of these texts was simply this. Your church rocks. <laughs> I think that's a paraphrase of what scripture says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. He, being God, he will not forget your work and the love shown him as you helped his people and continue to help them. So Lighthouse, you rock. Thank you for blessing God by blessing his people. As we depart this morning, uh, may we uh, be blessed by the words from this passage in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. May we be challenged to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Have a wonderful week. Mm -hmm.